I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, everyone. Marcel here. Before today's episode, I want to tell you about a new show that we are loving at Witch Please Productions, the Culture Study Podcast with Anne Helen Peterson. If you don't already know it, I'm convinced that you're about to fall in love with a new podcast. And this is coming from me, Marcel, someone who famously doesn't really listen to podcasts. Culture Study is a podcast about exploring the nooks and crannies of the culture that surrounds us. Each week, Anne and a super smart co-host will answer listeners' questions about the stuff they find interesting and perplexing, like, why do clothes suck now? And... Is Paw Patrol copaganda, or is it not that deep? And, like, what's the deal with everyone I know getting a divorce? Just like Anne's tremendously popular newsletter of the same name, Culture Study Podcast is funny, insightful, and kind of weird. And it's guaranteed to help you become the most interesting person at parties. Listen to the Culture Study Podcast every Wednesday, wherever you get your shows. Who knows? Maybe you'll recognize some guests in the coming months. Hello and welcome to a bonus episode of Material Girls, a scholarly podcast about popular culture. I'm Hannah McGregor. I'm Marcel Cosman. I'm really high. Um, so that's just like a heads up for you. I, on the other hand, had a nap, a nice long, long mm. nap while my children screamed at my partner <laughs> in a fun way. But uh, now I'm enjoying a nice glass of wine because both of the children are in bed. Absolutely incredible. And you've locked the door from the outside. So, I mean, it's not technically a lock. Technically, it's just a childproof handle. But like. (laughs) But listen, it does the job. Okay, so in this bonus episode, we are going to answer some listener submitted questions based on our Taylor Swift episode. And what's going to be released here on the feed, on the main feed, is going to be about half of what we're going to do. And then there's going to be like a part two. And uh, we'll save all, we'll save our close reading of uh, Taylor's birth chart for the Patreon. Were you about to say? Oh, I was, I was, because I was like, but you know what? We'll (laughs) save the like really deep dive into Taylor's birth chart for later. (laughs) That's paid content, baby. Yeah, for sure. For sure. We are on the same page. Okay, speaking of being on the same page, Marcel, I'm going to start you off with this question from Naomi, who asks, Gaylor, yes or no? I'm going to say I'm going to say no, but I'm also going to say 
because you found out what it was two days ago. I had a feeling I knew what it was based on the portmanteau. Um, and then we consulted. <laughs> we consulted the doctor of words. And we consulted with uh, official baby of the of the team, Gabby, uh, about what what Gaylor is, just to make sure that what it sounds like is indeed what it is. Gabby explained it, and I was like, "Yeah, nope, nope." <laughs> and I think I think we're all. I think the whole team is on is on the same page that, like, as far as we can tell, Taylor Swift does not have a queer bone in her body. <laughs> Taylor Swift appears to us to be a heterosexual, but a capital at H the end of the day, <laughs> when it comes to Marcel and me, um, neither of us engage in the Taylor Swift fandom in this way. Um, we are not Swifties in that in that sense. Like we're fans of her work, but we're not like the very close followers of her biography or the lore. So what what we've done is ask Taylor Swift expert Margaret H. Willison. If she will tackle some of these questions for us, and because she is a gracious, lovely human being, she said yes. And so, um, look out for some some bonus Instagram content when Margaret tackles some of the the more nuanced Gaylor questions uh, on our behalf. Definitely the the hardest questions where we were like, I don't know what that is. <laughs> Margaret will answer it. <laughs> Thank you, Margaret. <laughs> And we're going to tackle the ones that are like more about the ways in which Taylor Swift signifies as a cultural <laughs> object. Because like that's kind of our vibe. Speaking of Taylor Swift, speaking of Taylor as a cultural object, um, Hannah, this question comes from longtime friend of the pod, student of whim, who wants to know which Taylor is best, T. Swift, Taylor Tomlinson, or JTT, Jonathan Taylor Thomas. I mean, it's Taylor Swift. It's obviously Taylor Swift. Out of that Swift. group? Yes, definitely. Yes. yes. I would like to introduce... <laughs> it's not a great cross-section of Taylor. <laughs> yeah. Ryan, you really like set us up for that one. But uh, I would like to enter in a wild card fourth option and argue that the Taylor of Gloucester is indeed the superior Taylor. <laughs> I was truly sitting here being like, God, why are you stretching out this bit? Like, where could you possibly be taking that? I should I I should never doubt never you. doubt that I am always trying to make a joke. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sometimes they don't land, okay. but that one. All right, all right. That one, yeah, that one really tickled me. Okay, time for some real questions. Enough fucking around. Good thing you came to this recording stone cold sober, Hannah. <laughs> Stop fucking around. This question <laughs> is from Amy. And Amy asks, I think I'm having trouble with the spreadsheet. I'm having it's trouble reading. All over the place. I don't know why. Shh. No, I'm great at reading. Amy asks, do you have any thoughts on Taylor Swift and death of the author, considering people often try to get clues to her personal life via her mm -hmm, songs? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I mean... I don't think this is something that's exclusively um, found in Taylor Swift's uh, catalog. I think I, I see the same thing with Beyonce, too, where she will like like the one that always comes to mind is the song Drunken Love, where people are like, what does it mean, though? What does it mean that that she has Jay-Z singing and saying that he's Ike Turner? And I just like every time I gotta be like, you guys, I don't even know where to begin with the fact that music is not 
autobiographical unless the artist makes it autobiographical. <laughs> it's sure as fuck how people treated like the entirety of Lemonade. Oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah. Is men's art treated the same way? Like are male singers also like are people combing their discographies for intimate personal details? I'm sure it happens, but combing? Nah. Nah, I definitely. feel like when men's music is combed over, it's combed over for symbolism. Mm. And when women's music is combed over, it's combed over for the autobiographical. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense to me. I think maybe in the post-Me Too era, when men's music is combed over, it may also be combed over for evidence of being a bastard, which is like, I'm not, I'm not opposed to it. <laughs> okay, so on the subject of what to do with an artist who is so totally inviting you to read their work autobiographically, I want to tell a, a short story about a time that I was on a panel about the writing of Carol Shields. Carol Shields, respected Canadian author. <laughs> and I had given a paper arguing for a non-biographical reading of her work. And a certain Carol Shields scholar who shall remain nameless. We'll call her N. Foster Still. <laughs> no, that's too obvious. We'll call her Nora F.S. Was like... She, she started to correct me about the book not being biographical by pointing out all of the ways in which things in it coincided with Carol Shields' biography. And I was like, well, yes, but she's like a real, like, it's a sophisticated work of art engaging with the history of women's writing. And it's like very clearly as a text aware of the impulse towards women's writing being read biographically and is complicating that because the protagonist is a novelist and she's writing a novel in the novel that is a metaphor for what she's actually going through in the real life within the text. I was like, so obviously the text is doing this thing where it's like layering levels of representation to, to challenge the way that we always assume mm -hmm. that the work is just a transparent reflection of the artist's life. Mm -hmm. And she was like, no, those things happened. She told me. She told me that's what it means. That same nameless scholar also... Let's call her Bora Moster <laughs> Clovel. Bor Bora Moster Clovel. I'm an original character like Ricky Rouse or Ronald Ruck. <laughs> that's a Simpsons joke for those of you who are younger than 30 <laughs> younger than 30 surely you mean oh, oh you were explaining it to them gotcha 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 I've, i i was like no the joke's only for people who are older than 30 <laughs> i see what i see i see yes. i misunderstood what part of the sentence for was modifying exactly exactly the english language is is fraught and complicated um yes so that's so bora bora Cloister Oval also uh, has said in a classroom before that, like, well, I had, I had, uh, I'm, I'm not sure if it was Carol Shields' husband or 
uh, Margaret Lawrence's husband, one of the husbands over for dinner. And he said, blah, blah, blah. And it's, and it's really, it's really not a helpful way of interpreting text. Um, and it sure shuts down a lot of interpretive conversations. It's a quite a narrow framework for thinking about a work of art. And I think it also tends to, it underestimates both how art functions, underestimates how deeply collaborative the making of pop music is, and how much of the meaning of a song is beyond the literal lyrics. But even at the level of lyrics, it is subjecting them to a narrow frame of reading that is historically extremely gendered. Definitely. Now, is it fun to gossip? Yes. <laughs> Both of these things can be true. You know, I saw Elamin Abdul Mahmood give uh, a short talk at the opening ceremony of the Vancouver Writers Festival uh, last month, and and he said that one of the the things that literature can do for us is allow us to hold two simultaneous and seemingly opposing truths in our minds at the same time. So. It's called negative capability. And it's what we're modeling here. <laughs> Sounds like a burn. <laughs> negative capability, not negative capacity, my friends. <laughs> okay, what's our next question? Oh my gosh. Okay, this is so good. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> this question comes from a nameless, a person who shall remain nameless. It is not Bora Cloister overall. And they want to know. Not sure how to phrase this as a question. Great way to start. The way that you phrase that is, this is more of a comment than a question. <laughs> I'm just joking. No, this is great. Not sure how to phrase this as a question, but I'm curious about a discussion about how to grapple with enjoying her music, Taylor Swift, and not wanting to overly criticize a powerful and hardworking woman or to dismiss the Swifties out there all while coming to terms with the unethical aspect of Taylor when it comes to her enormous wealth, huge carbon footprint, massive clothes consumption, etc., and how these things are so carefully covered up. For example, and this is why I'm excited because I absolutely love this theory, sister-in-law of the <laughs> podcast, it's, it's Jill, very, told me about this theory. It's very tinfoil hatty, I gotta say. I am obsessed with it, and I'm sure it's true. The theory that... Taylor's PR team sent her to a Jets game so that when you Google Taylor and Jet, you get photos of her enjoying the favorite American pastime that is American football and not her ex her extremely, extremely carbony, footprinty private jet use. Hey, Marcel, do you know the name of Taylor Swift's publicist? No. Or manager, her manager? No. Do you? Her name is Tree Payne. Tree, like oak, tree, Payne. Is this, are you fucking with me? I'm not. I am extremely not. And when you go onto Wikipedia, it just says her name is Tree Payne. And there's nothing on there that's like, what's up with that? In fact, I couldn't find really anything on the internet that was like, what's up with that? And that immediately turned me into a literally any conspiracy theory about Taylor Swift's publicity team must be true. Because if this woman has managed to purge the internet of any com 
conversations about the fact that her name is in, is absolutely like the most bonkers name I've ever Truly heard. Truly the silliest name. Like it can't be. Her name's not Tree Pain. So here's like T Pain, the rapper. T Pain, but yeah. a tree. Tree, yeah, yeah. In this climate catastrophe, <laughs> yes. It's incredible. Tree pain is what we call climate change now. Yeah, yeah it is. So, so oh my god, oh my god, it's a message about her private jet. So here's why I absolutely buy this theory. And Margaret, if you're listening, you are welcome to DM me and tell me if I'm way off the mark. But based on the conversation, but only Margaret, only only Margaret, literally nobody else only is Margaret, to DM nobody okay. else. Margaret right. H. Willison is the only Taylor Swift expert I am willing to hear from, with the exception of my sister-in-law. And my sister-in-law does not listen to this podcast. Hi, Jill. I love you. Aw, Jill. It's okay. Her friends do, and then they tell her about it, and that's adorable. That's and I love it. Hi, Dana. <laughs> so, so here's why I buy this. Why do you believe this cool theory? Yep. I believe this theory because. As Margaret H. Willison helped us to understand, every aspect of Taylor Swift's public appearance is very meticulously managed. It is very carefully managed. I'm not saying she started dating a football player to orchestrate this whole scenario, but the fact that she did attend a football game where his team is playing against the Jets is a wonderful opportunity to eliminate, to absolutely eliminate, wipe clean the internet of her of her carbon footprint caused by her private jet use. And unless if you Google Taylor Swift carbon footprint, yeah, unless you Google you Taylor Swift private, yeah, yeah, unless you <laughs> unless you Google Taylor Swift carbon footprint, but like you can't like what is she going to start dating somebody whose name is Carbon Footprint? Possibly. She has a she has a manager named Tree Pain. Anything's possible. Anything is possible. But I absolutely I absolutely can imagine the the team being like, okay, Taylor, uh Travis's team is gonna be playing the Jets. This is great for you. This is a great opportunity. You're going to that game. I know that you've got a show in Dublin, but you're going to that game. And you know how you're getting there. You're gonna take your private jet. Don't worry about it. No one's gonna notice. No one's going to notice because you're going to be wearing an off-the-shoulder long-sleeve tee cheering for your boyfriend. It's going to be great. I absolutely buy it. I totally buy it. Anyway, this is not getting at the essence of the question. Though. The essence of the question is like, how it do you absolutely not? How do you grapple? How do you grapple with all of these things? And like the 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 answer I for me is piecemeal, bit by bit. Oh yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah, I was like, you have to, even though we recognize structurally that these are all interconnected, you actually have to sort of pull them apart to deal with them because that's how you deal with complex problems. And so you can simultaneously say, like, yeah, billionaires shouldn't exist, even if she's doing like if she's donating a lot. Billionaires shouldn't exist. She shouldn't be a billionaire. She shouldn't be this rich. She should not be able to fly wherever the fuck she wants. Yeah. And, you know, she wouldn't have to do that kind of philanthropy if billionaires didn't exist. If she was fucking taxed. Like, <laughs> and that's also a structural issue, right? Yeah. Like, she's she's one of very, very few women who have, you know, gotten to the, uh, the level of wealth that um, late capitalism has been created to help a select number of people accrue. And so we... 
I think we can simultaneously say like, oh, I wonder if maybe she's a little disproportionately critiqued because she's a a young woman who's accumulated a level of power we're really more comfortable with old men having. And to not let that slide into like the girl bossification of like, yes, girl billionaires. (laughs) Like, no, it's disgusting. Take her money away. Yes, definitely. I mean, don't take her money away before you take the money of the old white men, but put her in line. Yeah, don't take her money away first. No. Take them all away simultaneously, actually, through taxes. <laughs> I'd, I'd be fine with that. A little yeah. a little bit uh-huh. of taxation. <laughs> Some light taxation. You know, and it's it's a similar, like, my friend Sonera was saying that she saw a, pa- a post on Facebook that was this guy being like, ugh. If everybody who was buying tickets to the Taylor Swift concert, to a Taylor Swift concert right now, instead use that ticket money to attend a single local artist's performance, then we would have a thriving local music scene. And she she was like, this is going to be my win for the week. I'm going to destroy this stranger on Facebook. (laughs) Sometimes that's what you need, you know? I love Sonara. Yeah. I, one day the two of you will meet and then you'll neither of you will want to be friends with me anymore because you'll have found your soulmates. <laughs> I, I don't know that's true, but yeah, you no, know that's what? How, that's I how respect that works. I respect your fear. Um, Thank you. <laughs> Anna, I have a question for you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. I love that we didn't even bother to explain why that's bullshit we both just were like oh ha, 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 oh ha, ha. you know what no fair that's good that's good do you think do you think we should should we should we why is that no it's no you know what if anybody wants to know um it's at sonera g g e e on instagram just slide into her dms and say i've heard you have really good takes about taylor swift can you tell them to me <laughs> hannah told me to ask you <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> definitely so so Dorka asks, please, can you discuss how this intimate public is gendered and how the recent phenomenon like Barbie 2023 um, and the film Barbie, the movie Barbie 2023 and the Eras tour, um, quote unquote, legitimized a recent form of femininity, girlhood that was not accepted before in public spaces? Um, Hannah, I super want you to answer this question because I think that you are a lot better with words than me, especially when it comes to explaining intimate publics. But before you do, um, I just I just wanna I just wanna share with everybody, friend of the pod, um, Instagram user Ramsey had posted on one of our Barbie reels about how the Barbie movie is the Black Panther event for white women. And I was like, that is the most incisive, most perfect comparison i've ever heard and i fucking love you for it it was really really good the way that the way that we white women flocked to the barbie movie was an event it was it sure was so here's what i'm thinking through when i think about the heiress tour and barbie and how they shape the gendered nature of the intimate public which is that berlin specifies that intimate publics are juxtapolitical, which means that they exist predominantly in the sphere of the social and don't butt up against actual political action. And that, in fact, one of the things that characterizes the intimate public sphere is the sense that 
you don't have power over the political. That, and that sense isn't necessarily accurate, but it's certainly part of the sort of affective experience of an intimate public. Like Berlant isn't saying that we don't have power over the political. They're saying that the experience within the juxtapolitical sphere is, well, I don't know. I can't do anything about it. I couldn't possibly do anything. Or the question of doing things is beside the point of what we're doing here. And what is interesting is what happens when the juxtapolitical nature of an intimate public meets the political force of mass culture. And I don't know if we can really think of those as being two things that have necessarily overlapped in the past, that that mass culture, because mass culture was about appealing to everyone, mass culture has historically not been gendered female. Right. And a thing that has happened historically quite recently, I know it feels sometimes like <laughs> white women have had equality for ages, but it's actually like when you think about it, I mean, we don't, but also like <laughs> even the sort of the emergence of, of women into a place of having enough buying power mm, to mm -hmm. start to have the things we like be mass culture is like really, really recent. And so what happens when you take the culture, the cultural texts of an intimate public, and then you back them with the sheer capitalist buying power of the mass culture, I think you get these confusing and paradoxical cultural texts where we look at them and go like, is that like, is this, is this feminism? Like, are you doing, <laughs> are you, are you doing, doing feminism? feminism here? Are you, is it by default feminism because it's a woman? Yeah. And like, well, it's deeply commercial. Like it's overtly commercial. It's, it's both of them have kind of like Barbie and the heiress to her. Both of them have, um, I'm going to say the stink of the girl boss. <laughs> Right? Like they both kind of it smells a little both... bit like secret. <laughs> secret 24 hour. You know it. Oh fuck. Um that was devastating. Um like, but they both have that feel of like middle class white women with disposable income driving culture which like doesn't feel radical right right because it's still mass culture and it's still about capitalism so that always feels a little like eh. but it also is radical <laughs> <laughs> and it feels yeah, good yeah and it yeah. feels good but it feels weird and i think that's part of what we're experiencing is being like oh like this is i don't know guys either i just came up with like a brilliant interpretation of contemporary feminist popular <laughs> culture or smoked a third of a joint after I finished working today. It's really hard to say what's happening right now. Can it be both? 
It actually can be both. And that's a real problem for me. You know, honestly, I think that this question and also our our uh, question asker who shall remain nameless, who asked the the question that I spent a long time talking about conspiracy theories around like these two questions, they have a lot. In, they have a lot in common, which is like at at their core. It's like, well, I'm not sure that this is a good thing, but it it feels like a good thing and I like it. But is it not? Is it maybe not a good thing? Is maybe should I be suspicious of how good it feels? Oh, yeah. Can you be suspicious of it while also enjoying how good it feels? Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, can you hold two seemingly opposing truths inside you at the same time? What a great cliffhanger. Tune in next time to find out. (laughs) Join our Patreon to find out (laughs) if it's possible. (laughs) <laughs> to both enjoy the effective charge of the intimate public while recognizing the capitalist complicity of mass culture. <laughs> Give us money and we'll tell you. <laughs> Woo. Thanks, everyone. See you on Patreon. I assume 100% of you. 100%. After that. <laughs> oh.